with Josh hey. Hood in the Ooh. house. What's happening, Buzzer? Mm. Oh, always a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, even if I had to nudge you this time, I was like, <laughs> to get on. Never have to we're nudge us. Old. We love you, know, you, Josh. We're getting old. But listen, uh, hey, brother, you, know. you, you are uh, welcome back to the crew review. Yeah. Treadstone Trans- Transgression right here is your third foray into the Ludlam world. And although I loved your last two books. In my opinion, this one is by far the best. Yeah, my favorite. Um, but would you mind giving our listeners the elevator pitch of what they're in store for when they read this book? Yeah. Man, I haven't done an elevator pitch in forever. I know, but I know. It's, uh, this is the hardest question you're going to get. <laughs> well, that's good. It's about uh, Adam Hayes, a former Treadstone operative who um, has left Treadstone, which we all know from the born books and the movies and he is trying to get back to his family he has a son he's bought a house he wants to leave that life behind when he's kind of pulled back in for a final mission that takes him to haiti and then shit goes crazy and then josh do gangster stuff yeah josh Josh hood does (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you get you get all of it in your face. Yeah, <laughs> but yep. well, yeah, that was that was an okay elevator pitch. Um, so we'll go with that. But well, while most authors in the genre have pivoted away from the Middle East, and they focused on either China or Russia. You decided to drop Hayes in the Caribbean, which I love. I love the Caribbean. That's great. Although you do throw in the obligatory Russian or two, and I appreciate that. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> well, it was, you know, I like that whole Wagner thing is so fascinating. I had to throw it in there. And I got to yeah. keep turning the, keep the computer. I'm like, hey, where are we going? Where are we going? New Treadstone notes on there. And I'm like, damn, can they see that? Like, yeah. give away the whole book. Oh, my God. That's the next book or the book after? Is that what that is? That's the, this is the next one that's coming out. So, like, y'all need all to right. edit that down. Because I was like, oh, there's a whole synopsis right there. Just block that. <laughs> all right. All right. We'll, we'll, um, we'll talk about that at the end of the interview, but here's what I want to know. So you drop Hayes in the Caribbean. Well, first he's in the state, East state side, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you drop him in the Caribbean and I'm curious, I don't see any maps behind you, but I'm curious if this, if setting the plot in Haiti, was you just throwing darts at a map or if you had a specific reason for picking that locale? Well, I've tried with all these books to stay. I think I've done it stay out of the Mideast and all that stuff. Uh, and so when I was coming up with this book, it was weird. It was kind of, there was a lot of things that happened after I picked it, but um, like I was thinking like, what haven't I done? What would be something cool? What would be a cool setting? Cause with these books and the way I write, I need a place where I can just blow up a lot of shit. And like, <laughs> you can't like, you know, that's gotta be. That's Switzerland. Yeah, I can't do it in, like, downtown New York. I'm like, how long would he last? Well, so you got to find a place that's, like, in my mind, is like a Wild West where anything could go. And so I was like, you know, Haiti is kind of crazy. Like, because they had had an earthquake, and I was watching this uh, thing with Anthony Bourdain where he'd gone down there. He'd kind of met with Sean Penn. And they had set up this like refugee camp on this old golf course and I'm looking at it and then they like kind of cut to them going through uh, carnival. And I was like, dude, can you imagine trying to like, 
you're dragging somebody along and there's carnival going yeah, on. Yeah, and, you yeah know. I can. I can now. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where, you know, I picked it and I was like, I think that, I think that is going to work. Um, there weren't a lot of stuff on Haiti, like really anywhere, um, you know, but for those who say, hey, that's such a stretch, uh, I think someone said like the DIA that has never and does not do any work in Haiti. That's actually not true because that was like one of the very first. Who said um, that? Hmm. I don't know. Some fan. Oh, okay. Uh, the I was say, like your editor? Yeah. <laughs> no. um, so that we have a, a long history there and it, it's, it's mm -hmm. so, you know, the fact that it's so poor, but it's so close to the United States is like this weird juxtaposition, you know, and right. it's like, we're wasting all our time, like all over the world doing God knows what. And then like, these people are starving. And then as I'm writing the book, like the president gets assassinated and anarchy kind of ensues. And it was just like, wow, this, this place really could be like, you know, a place where you have this type of stuff happen. Right. It's happening right now. Loved it. Yeah. I love yeah, well, kind of a yeah. justification for your thought process there. Um, yeah. Well, so we're, you know, now we're into this franchise uh, that you're working on and there's a lot of authors that are kind of curious in that when you're creating your own work from, you know, without any history, it, it's kind of you, but when you're coming into a franchise, they kind of want to know, do you come into it with a list of kind of do's and don'ts from the estate or from the publisher that kind of directs you and, and maybe it limits you a little bit too, but do you get kind of a direction saying, Hey, we can't do this. We can't do that where they might not get it. If they're creating uh, you know, or trying to start a new franchise of their own. Do you, did you, I'm not going to ask for specifics, but did you No, get I mean, my connection, like I guess with, the estate is through Tom Colgan, our, my editor. Right. And I think he, he works like uh, with the Clancy's he's, you know, that this is like what, one of the things he specializes in. And, and so he has, you know, he, he's when it's first started out, he kind of laid out what they wanted to do. And um, you know, there were some boundaries uh, like, the one that stuck out was it it actually kind of shocked me um but the remember the born movie that didn't have born in it but had jeremy renner in it yeah yes like if you watch the director's cut with everything he left in it's a really good movie like i thought the idea of the kims and stuff were great um and they were like no we can't you can't reference that at all and which is really weird because like there's a lot you look at that book and then you look at the rest of the love the world their characters still in that movie that are still alive while everybody else in the treadstone universe like they were killed at the end of every you know movie and yeah. you know the guy um what was his name uh he was in rounders and stuff i can't think um matt damon no, no. the other dude ed norton ed norton. Ed, ed norton you're right yeah yeah ed norton he like played but they were the both in, in like, rounders yeah that's a good point uh, it's like Shut 20 up. degrees of Kevin Bacon right <laughs> everything goes back to Matt Damon um, but like this guy just you know he's like comes out of nowhere he's running this like program that the government doesn't even know about and like at the end of the movie he just gets away and I've always been like where's that dude like that'd be a great tie in for these books yeah but sure other than that they just were kind of like 
hey, um, I got the sense that they didn't want these books to start crossing. Like, huh. um, I think in the first one, I made like a little uh, reference to Born. Like, I was, my thought originally was like, man, it'd be cool if they like these books intersect. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to do something like that in the future. But it was kind of, um, originally the book was supposed to be set at Treadstone had closed down and there was no Treadstone. And then halfway through, um, they were like, the decision was made to like, we need to leave like Treadstone in this world open so that the born that Brian is working in with and uh, Simon Jarvey, who's right. going to be writing uh, Blackbriar, which is another offshoot. And he's mm -hmm. an awesome dude, great Hello. writer. Like, uh, it needed to be open so everybody could go kind of everywhere. And so that was kind of like the only um, the only right. things that they said. Oh, okay. Oh. Dude, I got to tell you, as, you know, like a fan of Born and Treadstone, I would love to see them intersect. Yeah, same. Uh, I would love that. I would love to see the, the crossover or see references or inferences of, of characters in either story, like Brian Freeman's or yours. Like, I think that as a fan, I think that would be actually pretty cool. And I think the only person who's like actually made been into every book is Shaw. Like I think Levi Shaw's in every book somehow as the director oh, of Trace. Oh, he yeah, shows yeah. up and I'm like, Yeah, that dude. Like yeah. you know. So well, uh but, I mean you in in the beginning of this of this book, you give Adam Hayes a respite. Um, you know, he's recovering from his injuries from exile, right? At the end of the book. Yeah, right. Um but of course that that couldn't last, and so he gets tasked with, and it's Levi Shaw doing. He's like, I got this easy mission. I'm gonna set up a safe house, right? It's pretty easy, right? Yeah. Um, and she he should be back in time for his son's birthday party, um, and so like that's his driving force for Adam Hayes. It's his family now. It's his son, his family. But does Josh Hood ever feel that pull back to family? We either when you're writing now. Or when you were deployed in the 82nd Airborne, or as a SWAT team, and if you if you did, and I'm, I'm sure you did, how did you deal with that? Well, lucky for me, like I was just got out of the army before. Obviously, I was married, and then like I quit the SWAT team the day after Jake was born for exactly this reason. I left yeah. the sheriff's department, everything, and it was amazing. Like, yeah, well, I don't know if it was amazing or not. But no, it's amazing. I don't see how people do that. Like, Neither I can't I. even get my mind around it. I mean, you got kids, right? I did yeah, it. Sure. So I, I left the Secret Service specifically because of oh, that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We talked about this. Before. Yeah, I left. And, I left my. I left my yeah. career for the same exact reason. Yeah. And you know, people talk before you have kids. I remember my dad. And mom saying, like, you're, you're going to make sacrifices for your children that you can't even imagine. You're like, oh, whatever. And I remember, like, little Josh being, like, a douche when they would say that. Like, oh, what have you sacrificed? Right. You know, I never asked to be born. And then fast forward, it happens to you. And it was like, there was no question. It was like, I'm not bringing this into the house. Like, I'm not going to be one of those guys that gets smoked, you know, doing a warrant. And my son's got to grow up without a father. Same. Like, nobody yeah. else, no no man's going to raise my child, my children. Right. And, you know, so um, I made that decision, never looked back. But that being there and those thoughts and having seen it, because you guys have witnessed it too, is like, how do 
they do that like how you know like i would and i put that a lot into adam hayes is like if i had my son hanging out like my son spent the night with his cousin last night and i was like dude house is quiet little you know marlo's upstairs asleep i was like where is that dude you know because he's like my buddy and so (laughs) can you i can't imagine being like oh you gotta go to afghanistan for 18 months i'm gonna see your son God. You come back and he's like, "Who did?" Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, recognizes he's got, him. Uh, he's got he's got a mustache. Yeah, he doesn't know you. He's scared yeah. of you and all yeah. this stuff. He's like drinking Natty Light, and all of a sudden he's got a Camaro. You're like, "God, what? <laughs> is he from Jersey yeah. now?" Like, what? Uh, that's he's, that's a Southern thing, man. He hung out with Chris uh, too long. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not just a Southern yeah. thing. That's a Jersey thing, by the way. <laughs> well, we have that in common, man. Because like, you know, it was rolling around with glass packs on his you know God. 85 silverado ring and right who was like you're like that, Who, whose kid is that <laughs> i don't nice know how they, i don't know how, bro i don't know how they do do it um the guys who go overseas or even you know the agents or police officers you know missing the birthdays missing the anniversaries missing all that stuff and it, like if you're if you're deployed 18 months you come back for us, eighteen months, like I, my face isn't going to change that much. Maybe a little bit, but for the children, You're an entirely different person. Yeah, yeah it's for crazy. Sure. It's crazy. <clears throat> well, hey, you mentioned Adam Hayes. I, you have this uh, inner voice that frequently talks to him, and it's a little sarcastic, and it's usually pretty correct reading on the situation he finds himself in. And so, this latest one, I don't know. I was getting more the sense that like this was an actual mm-hmm. character, kind of on its own. So do you as the author view that in, in that kind of same way, or do you use that as kind of like a short-term foreshadowing mechanism? Because it seems to always be correct on uh, what's going on next. Well, for me, like Adam Hayes is one of those guys who's, you know, he's fighting against who he is and what he is. Yeah. And, you know, I looked at that as kind of like a metaphor, like it's, I didn't think of this as much in time, but it's more potent with what we've seen in Afghanistan, the fall there and everything is like this dude, like he thought he was doing the right thing. He wanted to be, you know, the tip of the spear to kill the enemies, of the United States where they came home and affected yeah. his family. And like, as we all know people, and as we've all seen, that takes a toll on a human God, being. Yeah. Right. Like if you're a, there's no amount of special operations that you can go through that's going to make you not a human being at the end of the night. And, you know, we've seen a lot of this trauma now as this, you know, the wars wound down and you see, you know, they've got a place called, I think, uh, Nicaea or something like that. Um, I'm pronouncing it wrong, but they're doing all this stuff to try to figure out TBI and whatever, you know, I got PTSD. My brother had, he has PTSD and developed a brain cancer from TBI. And so we all, I think, know people that do this. And so that voice was my way of saying, like, you can't, I've never met anybody that can push away the training, like that hypervigilance, you know, that constant being on edge, thinking that other shoot, like, you know, mentally that like, I'm not in a combat zone, but you also know that like things happen, like, you know, bad stuff happens to crime doesn't have a zip code. You know, something could happen and you're the dude that's been trained to carry the sword. Your job's to protect, you know, they got, it. for me, it got a lot. The volume got turned up a lot when my 
kids were born because before then it's just me and my wife. But then, you know, you try to protect as many people as you can, but this is like your tribe. And so when I was trying to build this character of Adam Hayes, I was like, what would that look like? And so, you know, I think maybe if you had like a camera and you were making something for the movies, you could have something physical. But with this, like you're in this dimensional, this world that, of the book, the written word. And I was like, uh, I don't know, a voice, you know? So this voice is like his training. It's it's who he used to be. And like, what, uh, you know, to connect that, like I would love to, after I turn this one in the final one, go back and write a prequel to show, you know, who he was when he was like, you know, knee deep in treadstone. So you could see that juxtaposition, but, Right. You know, that voice knows. Like it's like just kill that dude. Like he's yeah, it's pretty cool. You yeah, know, exactly. He's not dealing with morality. He's just like, hey, you're a killer. This is what you do. Smoke that fool and go on here and do this, and then you'll be done. Go home. But you know, Adam Hayes is trying to control that, he's trying to control himself. And in doing so, you know, sometimes people just need a bullet and he doesn't want to kill people anymore, but you know, it's like he gets into trouble not doing what he knows is right. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of needing a bullet, bullet, uh, you write some of the most brutal and most visual action scenes I've ever read. Um, kudos. Um, but what do you turn to to create that? Is it is it movies? Is it other books? Is it personal experience? Or are you just a sick I, mf'er? <laughs> well, a little, little bit of that, but like, I mean, you guys, like, there isn't much I haven't seen tactically, you know, um, like I've been, I was in Iraq, I was in Afghanistan, went to like pretty much every shithole place there, Got to, mm-hmm. you know, Fallujah, Ramadi, like I've been all over, you know, Afghanistan, and then you come back to Memphis and you're on, you know, on the SWAT team for seven years. You see, uh, we did a lot shit. of, yeah. yeah, we worked a lot of, you know, besides our stuff, we worked the DEA. We worked with mm. um, the U.S. Marshals. We worked the FBI. So wow. um, even maybe the ATF sometimes. So, like, I've seen pretty much – I've seen enough to, like, understand, you know, how it works. And, and it becomes, I guess, just like a – I don't know. It's like a, you're reading music. You just know how it works. You would know, hey, I need this to happen here. I would need a building like this so I can have an ambush from this side. And so you just kind of like, you know, it used to be I could take things like, oh, I saw something like in Clear by Fire, I think it was. I wrote a scene where they burned down this house shooting hot gas into it. Yeah. Uh, like, and like that had literally just happened three weeks before in Memphis where uh, one, another SWAT team had burned down a house using old gas that like went in and caught the matches oh. the guy was barricading for. Wow. I was like, oh, that could work. Yeah. Uh, but after a while, you use all those up. And so you're just like, all right, I just need, um, you know, you think of what you need in the scene and then you just kind of like build it real quick in your brain. You're like, all right, that'd work. Do you, do you see it, Josh? Like, do you, do you, like, are you able to close your eyes and see every movement that the guy, like in, in your, in your like hand-to-hand combats in your fights or even your shooting, do you see all those moments in your head and then you open up your eyes and you describe it as you're writing the words? Like, are you that visual in, in, you know, like in your own head? Yeah. I mean, I, when I write, 
Um, and some, when it's working, it's awesome. When it's not, it's not going as fast, but I write in my head, like I've always have is like, I imagine a lens and it's like, you know, we grew up, I grew up reading, but also grew up watching TV. And so I need to be able to see everything. And when I get, you know, people talk about writer's block. When I get writer's blocked, it's because there's a piece of the recipe I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to make something right now and I don't have a particular piece. Mm. And so it could be like, what does it look like? What does it smell like? Cause you know, you kind of need all these things to like bake a chapter, I guess. And it's, yeah, yeah. so for that, you know, like sometimes like I'm not like the best martial art dude. Like I, you know, I did some and I know how to fight, but it's like, how do you explain that? Or you have to look up terms on like jujitsu or judo, whatever. Like, oh, I did this. But like when it gets kinetic, yeah. Like it's just like, I mean, you know, you just visualize it. What does it look like? What does it need to look like? Well, Um, at this point in your writing career, what's gotten maybe a little easier for you? And then what's gotten a little more difficult? terms of getting from like you know raw material to final galley what 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 are you finding it's a little easier and a little more difficult it's for me it's all gotten more difficult and for a while i was wondering if i was doing it wrong because i was like why is this harder um but i think that becomes i think that comes from like me always wanting to push it and like the the violence in action like i know i do that well but um in exile i felt like i used it as a crutch and mm-hmm. you know for me it's like you know you don't want to always like if i get in a pinch like yeah i'm gonna kill somebody in a book but <laughs> yeah, otherwise, it always works though you know, listen that works <laughs> yeah but it's like how much of this you know it's like you go into the gym and you're like i'm really good at squats so that's all you do and you got yeah. huge legs but then they're like hey can you like take this cap off the jar and like I use my toes um, yeah and it's like you know someone like mark uh is really good at this and like he his books always push me because what was it the last one it wasn't relentless but where he uses the 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 two plot lines and you know one is back when he was in Sierra Sierra six. Six. Yeah, Sierra six. Yeah. And one is now. And like that book's impossible to put down because like you have these dueling plot lines that there's always action, you know, and like the parts of a book that I hate the most are like these like connected tissue parts where you're like, I need, you know, I got to bring somebody else in and mm-hmm. really they only need to be in here for this one little part, but you got to build an entire world to make it somehow interesting. And instead of just being like, I don't give a shit, like just, just kill them. Yeah. You got to do that. But you need them to bring like, you know, the story to move it forward. And so trying to figure out different ways to do the same thing over and over again, but make it fresh is for me, it's kind of difficult. Hmm. So in, in the beginning, we were talking about Haiti and uh, because, you know, that's where you drop Hayes into for all that fun stuff that happens. Um, but say, Haiti has a sad distinction as being like the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. It's got poverty, famine, political instability, NGOs and the Western governments have 
Western government malfeasance has wrecked havoc, which should be a very prosperous, uh, prosperous country. It's an understatement that to say that Haiti has fallen into like a hellish pit. Um, and you mentioned it before, the president was assassinated last year. And I recently read in the AP or, uh, an AP article about gangs on how they control and terrorize Port-au-Prince, yeah. the capital of Haiti. Um, you know, I'm confident as a writer, you, like you did a deep dive in the subject matter of, of what was going on in Haiti and, and who are the main players. But I'm curious if you discovered something about Haiti that just utterly shocked you. I mean, how poor it is was pretty shocking. And like the hard mm. thing to do was like, you're trying to write this book and not like people that Haitians, like they're very proud and they have, you know, they have a, they've done a lot. They've overthrown the Spanish, you know, the French. And so, but like, I felt like as I was writing this book, I was like dogging on them. It's like, you know, like oh, that's a piece of shit country. And I didn't want, that was never my intention. You know, it was right. like, it was a backdrop, but those are human beings that are literally, as I'm writing it, they're going through like terrible, terrible stuff. And I, it's too late for me to like change this book. Um, but it was, um, I mean, the whole place, like, I think they have one cell phone network, like nobody has running water, you know, it's just like, you look at, I downloaded this map because there's not a lot of information uh, especially after the last earthquake, like you can't go into Google Earth because like you can, but like there's roads that are just not there anymore. There's whole yeah, sections right. of the city. Jeez. So there's this map, this trackable map that the NGOs were using. And like, it was like Google map. You'd log into it. You could go there and it'd be like every day, something new's popping up. Like this, you know, this hospital just collapsed or this hospital, somebody like came in there and killed everybody and stole the ventilators and all these things. And so like, that's crazy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty nuts because you know, usually you can find a map and be like, oh, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. And then, or I would actually go there. My wife's like, you're not fucking going there. <laughs> going so I was like, all right. Like, uh, go there for 20 bucks. It's, it's such a violent area. I'm, but so like there's, is this is an interesting fact? Somebody was telling me, you know, there's a there's an invisible line between yeah. the Dominican Republic and Haiti, and and Haiti has been, for lack of a better word, like raped environmentally, its minerals, its natural resources. But if you look at that, if you can look at the island of Hispaniola from the air, you could see Dominican Republic on the right. It's very lush and green. And if you look to the left and you see Haiti, and it's just desolate it's like it's been been raped it's destroyed and the one thing that did kind of blow my mind is like i'd heard rumors of it and i can't remember the name of the place but if you google it like i think it's carnival cruise line owns a part of the island it's like up maybe in the northeast portion really and like nobody could go there except they like dock their boats there and it's like i can't remember what it's called but it's like they have the beach and they got zip lines and crap and these huge like walls to keep the Haitians out because they've oh, like, God. you know, um, but that's where they go. And like, that's where they go do their little excursions and stuff. It's, it's the like, Caribbean is beautiful, right? Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's the kind of thing is like, you know, if 
like looking at some of these pictures like if you could make this place stable like how it wouldn't take long for people to be like i want to go there you know but um unfortunately kind of like you know somalia is a little bit like that like Mm. you know this beautiful place you know the the guys in black hawk down and stuff talked about like look at those beaches and like oh yeah you get eaten by sharks but if like these warlords could chill out like could that be like a you know a destination you know and right. it's always like it's always kind of seemed to me that like god gives like for whatever reason the people that live in the shittiest life like the best view and i think i wrote something like that in the first treadstone when i don't know exactly where he i think he was in uh, venezuela which is another kind of failed state right and you look at that and you're like like he's like There's hey no your reason. life's gonna yeah. suck here's a good view though <laughs> right like, damn dude There's no reason for it to suck like that though <laughs> yeah no reason yeah hey but at the no, end of the book he's this he, he he's back at his home and he's kind of dealing with this final threat uh you know to his family and and you actually just kind of describe it in such is that he's in the center and equidistant on one side is his wife and son and on the other is you know is the man representing the government and the threats that they face and, and he's kind of caught in this push and pull between them and, and both sides are kind of like which way is he going to turn which one does he feel more important and he kind of just looks down at his watch is is that kind of the, is that scene kind of the essence that you see where he is in life in general is that he's kind of an almost it's almost a no-win situation for both sides yeah i mean the hardest thing for me logically like as a i'm a fan of this genre first and then i became a writer and so you know for me like obviously i hope the audience knows is like i gotta keep adam hayes like getting into trouble right like or the book stopped otherwise it'd be boring (laughs) yeah but logically you're just like god why does this you know thing keep happening whatever and so you have to find you have to orchestrate you have to engineer ways to like create this tension because the tension is what keep these books going and so you know this guy's like a very flawed person and like everything he tries to do for good turns out bad. And it's like, where, what do you do? Like, you know, and sometimes I think you feel like that as a parent, you're like, damn it, I'm trying to do this, but like I keep screwing this up. And it's like, you know, I think that's like a, what do you do? And so leaving that open like that, like he still has business to attend to, but you know, for me, it was like, what is his, wife thinking right now like they need a lot of therapy right yeah Especially for their child like if that happened to me my wife would be like you can take your ass on mm, uh right you know but and so i just felt like that was like a very powerful moment i, I mean i felt it would be powerful for me to be like shit like well it read that way to watch because i i was like I, I was like reading this and i'm like oh which way is he gonna go and it, you know what's the answer and then there is no real answer so it it kind of hit me pretty hard when i when i went through that section well you know they talk i think it was they refer to him as the tool a couple times and like yeah. that for lack of a better word like you know i wanted him to be become like almost the master tool at the end where he's like 
in control of that voice. Um, hmm. And then, you know, you carry that on in the next book and it causes issues because like sure. yeah, that, exactly. you get on that, you get on that Mario girl around and you really quickly can find <laughs> yourself back to where uh, you started from. And so right. it's like, what do you do in that situation? And sometimes um, a lesson to people who want to be authors is like, uh, maybe think a little bit farther ahead than I did. So you can like, you know, I hear a lot of people that are like, I've got a five book series. And, you know, my advice has always been to well, just focus on one at a time. But, you know, as I progress in this journey, I'm like, dang, I wish I had like a view that was five books deep. So I knew where I was going. <laughs> well, we didn't well, seem to have a problem with that, though. Yeah. yeah. Listen, Josh, you're, you're three books deep. Um, so, I mean, you alluded to it. There's another Adam Hayes novel, I guess, in the waitings. What can we yep, expect? It's in the works. Yeah. Um, well, Adam's going to go back to Afghanistan to deal. He's going to have to rescue someone that was uh, important to him and deal with what he finds on the ground as what we kind of saw back in what was August, September, that oh, you know, yeah. the fall of Kabul, like as that's unraveling around him. And, um, you know, I think for me, hopefully uh, it's going to be, you know, some closure to what happened over in the Afghanistan, yeah. you know, maybe some of the veterans who read it. But that was one of those things, like, I don't think anybody saw it coming. And, no, um, right. but it was like a gut punch, you know, and it just like, I don't know, for about a week, like everything stopped for me. And I'm just like, you know, you see this stuff and it, you know, kind of mess with my head and i just i think that writing if you're able to do that is kind of cathartic and you're like hey let's let's investigate this like yeah. what would that feel like and you know people have always asked me would you ever go back to afghanistan or iraq or wherever and i'm like hell no but like what would happen if you had to like that's another kind of thing that like um you know allows you to see the human side of haze Oh man, that sounds good. I like it. I, one of the first times that we talked to you, uh, what did we ask you a question and you, your response was something like you just deal with the suck. Like yeah. just, <laughs> just deal with the yeah, suck. As best you can. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's put this away for a little bit, Josh Ooh, and right. Mike, oh, let's raise okay. glass because Josh has gotten past the traditional portion of the interview mm -hmm. where we asked, well, we asked some serious questions. Right we talked about some serious issues, and now we're going to get into the dumb and stupid. Mm. That's, That's where I part. live. Hmm. It's my favorite part. <laughs> my favorite part, too. We probably should lead with this. Um, <laughs> yeah. probably have Forget more the book. We'd probably have more downloads. Uh, you'd probably sell more books. Um, all right, here's my first question for you. You're a dad. I'm a dad. Mike's dead. And sometimes it's hard to keep promises we make to our kids. But what's one promise you've made that you didn't ever dare to not keep? See, my son has like, I've learned, he has this memory that I don't know where he's got it from. Like if you mention something, like he holds you up to it. Ooh. And so right now, I don't know where this has come from. And this wasn't for me, but my wife and him have been talking about this pool party that he wanted to have. Right. And so like, over the last couple months, I mean, this thing, 
he's like got me taking notes on it. This thing's getting like massive, and it's <laughs> like, like a circus. Wait, how old is I'm he? Serious. Dude, <laughs> dude's five, but he's like, I want like. And like I had nothing to do with this. I just got like brought into it. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? That sounds like a really awesome thing. Like that theme park. And he's like, no, it's the pool party we're having at my house. I'm like, we don't have a pool. What do you he's like, that's now we do. Getting, like yet. the bouncy houses. And <laughs> so one time he had like this thing lasting three days with like his friends on one day, family friends on the next day, and then open to like the general public. And I'm like looking at my wife and did you charge? It's like a bachelor dude. party. It hadn't <laughs> happened yet, but it's like I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, what the fuck are we gonna do? Like, you know, like you can't keep that promise. Need, yeah. yeah, I'm like, you need to like nip this in the bud. She's like, I can't. Dude, it's grown too big. It's, it's unleashed. Like, yeah, so I got like, you know, people with bouncy houses and those guys like just like as soon as she's like it's next week i just like all right bring it and uh <laughs> i don't know it's dude that's like, awesome i love it though we no, oh, we gotta meet this we do anything for our kids bro we do anything yeah, we birthdays do. are special and important yeah, we do right. even his birthday <laughs> his birthday was in march he so this is just a party this is just a holiday party this kid's gonna be a legend in high school Nip it in the bud. I keep Holy telling her. Shit. I was like, dude, this kid is like. I thought it was a birthday party. No, oh, you're no. Like... His birthday was in March. Like, it's nothing. It's like, this like, kid is like. June 2nd. Live every day. They didn't even have a date. But, like, literally, I'll tell you, this is a true story. This is how this kid gets anything he wants from his mother. The other day, literally to my embarrassment, he has a this blanket that he's had. It's got this little thing inside of it like a lovey but he calls it mm -hmm. g and puppet like literally this dude has woken me up at five six o'clock in the morning to like fold up his little roll his little puppet up in his little g so it's like <laughs> i told him like don't ever call me down here for this damn no g and puppet <laughs> so my wife she still does it because she's a mommy and she, you know yeah. mothers and daughters yeah this dude comes down two weeks ago and says it's G's birthday. And I'm like, who the hell is G? He's like, G and Puppet. And I was like, they're not real. They can't have a birthday. And he's like, they do have a birthday and it's today. We need a cake. I'm like, look at oh my, my wife. God. Like, gonna, is this for real? Is this really happening? She's like, uh, yeah, Josh, like, go with it. Your parents yeah, must be laughing their asses off right now. But all dude, this. I'm like, we're not having a damn birthday for a puppet <laughs> in a threadbare little carpet, little you know, blanket. Then, like, 10 minutes later, I'm like driving a freaking basket robin <laughs> to go buy a damn ice cream cake. We sit out on the front porch, he invites the neighbor and their daughter over, and I'm just sitting there like singing happy birthday oh to God. a damn puppet. And I'm like, there's a time you record that shit. Just... Did, did you record it? I don't think I did, uh -oh, but I'm we sure my wife did. We'll find we it. Put... But like sitting there being like feeling like a lion in a cage. Like, was I really ever a lion? Did no. I run? Did I run no. on those savannas and declawed declawed and you're in Claude, no teeth. in the Memphis Zoo. Sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sitting behind there. a cage. Yeah, that's <laughs> this kid's gotta come on the show next time. All right, so we explored that a little bit. Let's explore this now. Um, but you have to be honest with this question. What's the first thing you do when the buttons on the television remote don't work? Uh, 
usually I'll either change the batteries or get the, you know, the, what's that, that Lysol out? Because, you know, like, they get their little grubby hands on oh, everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, why is there, like, melted sucker on the freaking, <laughs> you know, thing or whatever? Like, yeah, it's just like, whatever, dude. Just First thing I do is I know is that. I bash it against my head. It'll yeah. work. It'll work. Wow. It. Hmm. It works. It's my job is just to provide batteries and clean shit. So <laughs> provide batteries and turn off light switches. That's yeah. your dad. That's when you know. Yeah. That's what you do. All right. Who turned uh, the damn air up? Yeah. <laughs> amen to that. Shut the back door. So you yeah. mentioned your wife a couple times already. Uh, if there was yeah. a movie made about your life and you could cast God. the actress playing your wife. Not. No. Not who would you that. choose? Next. <laughs> she watches this stuff. I'm not. I don't know. Whoever like the most beautiful woman. Gal know, Gadot. Uh, well, she's got blonde hair, so I don't even know. Somebody beautiful, Jennifer Aniston. Very attractive. And oh, nice so lady. so you so you like Jennifer Aniston, but you don't mention that. I, I see these questions already coming down. Oh my the pipe god, here. dude, no. <laughs> no, it's not happening. I'm not playing your silly game. <laughs> All right, Mike. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, on a scale of zero to giving birth, where do you rank the pain of stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night? Oh, God. I've never given birth, but I'm going to tell you, like, I have screamed <laughs> like a little girl, like, stepping on those sharp ass. Like, they need to make them say like, glow in the dark. They know yeah. what these like, kids do with them. And proximity, like, yeah. Switch. There is nothing more painful than stepping on one of those little dudes because they like collapse just enough, you know, but then they make this 90 degree angle. And yeah, it's, it's like, like a punchy uh, stick. Yeah. Yeah. It's dude, exactly. Punchy stick. It and is. It's yeah. It's like, you know, it was a little and sharp. It's got all the germs angle. all over it, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you know, you're just immediately like, mother. And then you can't cuss. But yeah, I don't, I don't even know. You wake the kids up. All right. Like the, not cussing. You, you can only pick one tagged hunt. Alaska brown bear or mountain ram in Patagonia? Which one oh. do you pick? Uh, what are we hunting with? Who knows? Let's just say rifle. Hmm. Nobody hmm. wants to do a brown bear with a bow. Forget that. Brown bear Cameron with a Haynes bow? Did. Cam Haynes killed one with a bow, but anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would go... Really? Wow. I got a video of Jack Carr whistling at a Kodiak bear oh. in Alaska. Yeah. Calling it to him. He's yep. got his phone. Have you seen that? Yep. No. I was I like, got, dude, what? I haven't seen oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it. And then bear starts coming to, towards him. And then he tells it to go away. It goes and, away. And it yeah. goes away. And I, I was like, what the hell would you have done if that bear hadn't gone away? And he's like, well, I had a SIG 357 on my hip. It would have gone away. And I'm like, Dude, what kind of what do they teach you in the seals where you're calling a bear <laughs> like a dog? He probably had a howitzer behind him. Wow, since I can't match that story ever, I'd probably go after the ram and try to do something cool, <laughs> but it would never be. I'd go yeah. after the tomahawk and yeah, the rams aren't going to eat thing. you. Yeah, guys exactly. got balls yeah. of steel that's yeah. up, man. I'm all right. Well, I'm gonna make this one easy then. Um, uh, are there any new authors that you know of that? other people don't they're kind of blowing you away with what they're doing mm. 
Um, let me see. <laughs> I made it harder. Didn't he was going to tell a joke there. Man. I could yeah. see he was going to say something silly. No, I mean, um, no, I'm not going to go with the low hanging fruit. Uh, man, I don't know. Well, who, Mike, who do you, I didn't wasn't on the interview, but you guys, and I read the book. Uh, oh, um, Woodward. MP Woodward, yeah, yeah, uh, the, the 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 handler, uh, the handler. Josh, Dude, if you haven't read that book, it's just you gotta read this book. It's fantastic. Got to read this book. Oh, they get a pen. Maybe it'll be this. Who is it? The handler. The handler. Yeah. The handler. yeah. CIA guy that can write his ass off. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Crazy. I'm sure it's hard for you because you're locked away in a cage trying to crank out all this content. It probably doesn't get that much to, time. Like yeah. we end up having to read a lot. Well, I read of books a lot first. of nonfiction because the problem is you start reading books like this, all of a sudden you're stealing shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, right? yeah. That's good. And like, so I got to be careful, like, you know, what, like, there's a couple of times I've like, you know, reached out to Brad Taylor and be like, I really like what you did in, you know, this can I steal it? And he's like, oh, I was like 10 books ago, whatever. Or like Mark, I was like, <laughs> you know, I really want to steal that scene in the camera of the name of it's a gunmetal gray where he goes back to the United States and he's like, I think jacks so. those kids in Washington, those thugs in DC. Oh, yeah. That I think that's good. like the best scene ever written in the history of scenes is like, because that's how you'd have to do it, right? You can't go buy a gun in DC. Right. No, no. He, he does like it perfectly. That's exactly, I'm like, damn it, why didn't I think of that? Go after um, some drug dealers for their stuff. Yeah, yeah. like for some cash and some, some uh, weapons. You know. Hey, Josh, let's trust. raise the glass, Mike. Congratulations, it's Josh. Up. You, Thanks. you have completed the gauntlet with us. Payback sucks. <laughs> Treadstone Transgressions. It's the third book in the Love Them series. It is out now. It's my favorite Book yeah, this is written, this is super good, man. The pacing is beautiful, and man, some seriously good action, which is what we always love to see. Dude, no one does it, but no one does it like you, Josh. Nope, awesome. Not at all. Well, the goal is always to come in and have that book be your best book of the series. And so, if I can yeah. come in, that's why I kind of nudged you guys. That's my litmus test. If I come here and you're like, yeah, best book of the series, I know I'm doing the right thing. But it's like, ah, yeah, you know, maybe, you know what? You know what? Yeah. Let me let's rewind. Right. Josh, let me rewind that. So I really liked uh, Treadstone Exile. Uh, this one, yeah, yeah. just as good. Yeah. Just yeah. as good. A little yeah. better. Maybe it's a third book. It's better. <laughs> yeah. Nah, dude, we love you, Josh. Congrats, yeah. bro. Well, I appreciate you guys having me here. Always a pleasure. That's awesome, man. Good to see you. Michael. Sir. We had the illustrious Joshua Hood on today talking Robert Ludlum's the Treadstone Transgression, his that third book in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the three books, this is my favorite. Favorite number two over here, yes, sir. I would raise a glass to mm-hmm. Josh for writing stories that we love, uh, and Sean Cameron, who we've missed and we love, but there cheers. I'll drink twice.